0: Listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praycc.org. This morning I want to kind of wrap up the series of messages we've been working our way through these last few weeks called Living Like Jesus Lived. And so far in the series, we've kind of looked at how Jesus served people, particularly in the washing of the disciples' feet, how he connected with people. How Jesus would look at a crowd and be moved with compassion for a crowd. He would look at people and be moved with compassion for people. And last week we looked at how Jesus valued other people. We talked about how every one of us is of immense value in God's eyes. So much so that God sent His only begotten Son who came and lived and died for us, that we might be redeemed and restored back into a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. And this morning, I want to conclude our series by talking about how Jesus influenced others. Now, that word influence is defined as the capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone or something or the effect itself. Now, many of us know just from our own personal experience that influence comes in both positive ways and negative ways. Now, obviously, Jesus sought to use his influence in positive ways just as you and I should. Author John Maxwell writes extensively on the issue of leadership, and he says, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And we know Jesus was definitely a leader. Jesus was a man of great influence. Maxwell goes on to say that influence can't be built without other people. Because influence comes from other people. Influence is something you give in response to who people perceive you to be. And we see this principle clearly throughout Scripture. And we see it very clearly in one particular interaction that Jesus has with a Samaritan woman there in John chapter 4. Many of you may be familiar with that story where Jesus stops. He's hungry and thirsty and stops at a well in Samaria around noon. And there he encounters a Samaritan woman and right away Jesus asks her to give him a drink of water. Now, if you're familiar with the culture at that time, this was considered taboo for a man to speak to a woman, much less a Jew to a Samaritan, because the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other, as is reflected there in verse 9. So Jesus begins to have a discussion with this woman, and this discussion takes a very pivotal turn about verse 16, when Jesus asked the woman to go and get her husband. And she responds by telling Jesus she does not have a husband. And Jesus responds in verse 17. And he said to her, you have answered correctly. I have no husband. You have had five husbands. And the one whom you have now is not your husband. (laughs) Talk about turning up the heat. Now listen to this Samaritan woman's response in verse 19. She says, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Now again, because of Jesus' prophetic insight, that revelation that God has given to him about this woman he's never met before, Jesus goes, in her estimation, from an ordinary Jewish man to the status of a prophet. And with it, his influence and his ability to lead her begins to increase. Remember what Maxwell said, influence is something you give in response to people, who people perceive you to be. And so we see Jesus' influence is increasing with this Samaritan woman and Jesus is able to exercise that influence so much so that he brings her to the place where in verse 25 she says, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us to which Jesus responds by saying in verse 26, I who speak to you am he. So this ordinary Jewish man, then prophet, now Messiah, this woman is so influenced and impacted by what Jesus says and offers to her that she leaves the well and she runs back into town. And what does she do? She starts telling everybody in her village about this man, Jesus, and how he knew all the things she had done. And so they leave the village and they go to where Jesus was to check him out for themselves. And look at the results of what this Samaritan woman did in sharing her story, her interaction with Jesus. We see it in verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And Jesus stayed there two days. Many more believe because of his word and they were saying to the woman it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the savior of the world so this samaritan woman is influenced by jesus and eventually she's led to believe and to put her faith and trust in jesus who then goes And begins influencing others so much so that they begin to put their faith and trust in Jesus. That is the power of influence. One important thing to remember here is this Samaritan woman was a person who probably had a pretty tainted reputation in her town. As a matter of fact, many scholars believe that is why she was at the well around noontime because she's trying to avoid all of the other ladies who would usually come to the well early in the morning. And yet despite her past, her failures, her mistakes, Jesus was able to use his position, his influence to lead her to faith and trust in him and then also use her to reach others. The good news of this is, if Jesus can use a woman like this, he can use any of us. Despite our past mistakes, our failures, our mistakes, our reputation, our limitations, and any other excuses we try to hide behind. We don't have to be able in order for God to use us, we just need to be available. That is why I believe it is so important to study the life of Jesus, to imitate the life of Jesus. Because he was by far and away the most influential person who has ever lived or will ever live. Think about this. Socrates taught for 40 years. Plato for 50 years. Aristotle for 40. And yet Jesus only taught for 3 years. And yet who can dispute or deny the influence of Jesus Christ for three years is far greater than the combined 130 years of some of the greatest philosophers and thinkers who ever lived. And just as Jesus used his influence to accomplish the greatest work in the history of mankind, which is bringing People back to God. He wants us involved and engaged in that same work. In what many believe to be the greatest sermon ever preached in the history of the world. Jesus shares with us the very simple truth of how we can be a person of influence. And use that influence to make an eternal impact on the lives of others. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I would invite you to open them to Matthew chapter 5. One other thing that's important to remember regarding influence, every one, every one of you in this room has the potential to influence others. Now whether you use that influence in good ways or bad ways, Every one of you has the potential to influence others. Now, before you can wonder or question if you would ever be a person of influence, I want you to remember where Jesus was and who Jesus is speaking to there in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus was not in Athens speaking to these brilliant philosophers Jesus was not in Rome speaking to military generals. He wasn't speaking to the United Nations, the Congress, the Parliament. Jesus is standing on a hillside in a rural area known as Galilee. And the people standing on that hillside listening to Jesus were about as low a class of people as you could find, at least socioeconomically. The wealthy, the rich people in Jerusalem, they looked down on, they despised people of Galilee and kind of thought of them as nothing but a bunch of country bumpkins. To put this in perspective, for those of you who are older, These people were kind of a bunch of Beverly Hillbillies. For those of you who are younger, it's as if Jesus was talking to the Duck Dynasty crowd. A sophisticated woman in that crowd that day was probably Honey Boo Boo. And it was to that crowd, those people, in that setting, that Jesus said this, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Can you just imagine thousands of people looking at each other, amazed and astonished, saying, is he talking to me? He was talking to them. And because enough of them took him seriously and chose to become salt and light, Christianity is now on every continent on the planet. And here you and I are today. This leader, Jesus Christ, changed and impacted this world. Nobody he truly touched was ever the same. And I just believe if we choose, we decide to live like Jesus, we can change, we can impact, we can influence our world. And by the grace and the power of God, people will never be the same. So let me just share with you quickly two simple things that we need to remember if we want to be a person of influence. First is show a godly life to others. Not a perfect life. None of us live a perfect life. But we're called to strive to live toward a godly life to others. Jesus begins with this incredible statement in Matthew five thirteen. You are the salt of the earth. Now, it's interesting. Why does Jesus refer to his followers as salt? Well, you may not know this, but salt is a miracle because your chemistry is composed of sodium and chloride. And many of you know sodium, in, in, you know, by itself, ingested in large quantities, it can shut your kidney down. It can eventually kill you. If you take a little hydrochloric acid and you dump that on your hand, about a minute later, you're not gonna have a hand. But when you add sodium to hydrochloride, you end up with salt, which is one of the most useful enduring substances on the planet as a matter of fact it was even more valuable and useful in Jesus's day what we take for granted was like pure gold back then many of you know salt is a preservative 2,000 years ago people didn't have the modern convenience of refrigerators like we have today Salt was so valuable back in Jesus' day, it was traded ounce for ounce with gold. Roman soldiers' salaries were often paid in salt. In a way, we our salaries are too. The word salary comes from the Latin word salarium, which comes from the wor- root word sal or salt. Many of you know one of the major industries in Galilee at that time was Fishing. Fishermen understood the value, the importance of salt. Because salt is a preservative and a preventative. It prevents decay and corruption. And so when those fishermen caught fish, the only way they could keep them fresh was to take them and just cover them in salt until they could get them to the market. Otherwise, the fish would rot and smell and become useless. One of the ways you become a person of influence is just by allowing your life to be sprinkled like salt, to be poured out like salt. Do you know what salt tastes like? You ever tried to define that? It's salty. I mean, we really can't find other words to describe how salt tastes. There's really nothing quite like it. Matter of fact, go into any restaurant, sit down and eat a meal, and nobody has to tell you if the food is salty. You know right away. And here's the point Jesus was making. When you are with other people, they should be able to experience, to sense, to taste the godly difference in your life. Listen to what Jesus said again. You are the salt of the earth. He did not say you are the salt of the church. The church does not exist for itself. The purpose of salt is to get onto and into food. You can take the best table salt in the whole world, and if all you do is just even put it one centimeter away from the food, the salt is useless so we cannot be the salt of the earth in here. Jesus is saying you need to be the salt of the earth out there. Salt is worthless if it never comes in contact with food. And they look nice in the shaker, but if it never gets out of the shaker, it's it's pointless. It's worthless. So I want you to get this picture down in your mind. The church is the salt shaker. You are the salt. We shouldn't just walk out of here. We ought to be poured out. We ought to be sprinkled out of here into our schools, our businesses, our offices, our neighborhoods, and let people experience, let people taste that the Lord is good That Jesus makes a difference in me and he can make a difference in you. Lady walked into a little mom and pop grocery store and asked the manager, do you sell salt? And he said, do we sell salt? Just look. And he takes this lady over to an entire wall of shells that was stocked with nothing but salt. Morton's salt. Salt. Iodine salt, kosher salt, sea salt, rock salt, garlic salt, seasoning salt, Epsom salts. There was every kind of salt imaginable. And this lady was amazed. And the manager said, ma'am, you think this is something? Follow me. And he proceeds to lead her to a back room that was filled with shelves and bins and cartons and barrels and boxes of salt. And this lady says, this is unreal. The grocer said, you haven't seen anything yet. And he leads her down some steps into a huge basement, five times as large as the previous room. And there she sees it's filled wall to wall, floor to ceiling with every kind of imaginable form, shape, size of salt you could imagine. And the lady looked at him and she said, you really do sell salt. The manager said, "Actually, we don't. That's the problem. We never sell salt. But now that salt salesman comes by every week. Boy, does he sell salt. Again, salt that just stays on the shelf, never used, it's worthless. We got to get out of our churches out of our houses, out of our holy huddles, out of our Bible studies, and we need to begin to show and to demonstrate a godly life to our next-door neighbors, to the people that work under us or above us, to our classmates, our teammates, our relatives, and to our friends. Because Jesus goes on, and he gives a very stern warning in verse 13. Listen to what he says. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's a rhetorical question. He says, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Do you realize it is impossible for salt to become unsalty? Sodium chloride, again, is one of the most stable enduring compounds in the chemical world. But again, if you'd lived back then, you would know what Jesus meant by that. In Jesus' day, people got much of their salt from the Dead Sea because there is more salt concentrated there than any other place on earth. Once the water kind of flows there into the Dead Sea, there's no other place for it to go. And as the sun begins to shine down upon it and evaporate the water, it leaves behind this chunky white powder made up of a combination of salt and minerals. And there's enough salt in it to preserve meat, but there's also enough minerals in it to dilute the salty flavor and make it basically bitter and useless. It becomes really bitter As you will find out if you ever get to taste it yourself. Do you know the only thing bitter salt was good for back in those days? To put on the roads, to hold down the dust. It became something that people just walked over without any thought or regard. The point is, Christianity loses its flavor. The church loses its attractiveness and influence when we begin to live like unbelievers. When we're more interested in conforming to the culture than transforming the culture. When we just go along to get along. When we stick our finger to the winds of the latest poll to find out what it is we believe. When we sit down and shut up. When we ought to be standing up and speaking out. I get really weary Sometimes of hearing people talk about how we Christians are being persecuted here in America and how the church is under siege. Let's be honest, most of us, and I'll include myself in that. We really don't know the first thing about persecution. Someone calls us a Bible thumper and we just melt. We think the world has ended. The truth of the matter, folks, is we're not being persecuted. We're being ignored. We are becoming the Rodney Dangerfield of America. We don't get any respect. Followers of Jesus will never make followers of Jesus until they look a lot more and live a lot more like Jesus. Here's the thing. People know when food is salted... And they know when it is not. And people should know by the way we live, the way we act, whether we're followers of Jesus. So again, we must show a godly life to others. Not a perfect life, but a godly life. We must strive towards that. Second thing is shine a godly light to others. The second thing Jesus says there in verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. Now it is obvious why Jesus calls us light. And again, the purpose of light is to dispel darkness. It's to get rid of darkness. It's what light does. It attracts attention. If you're in a dark place, you'll know if you just light a match. Every eye will focus on that light. Again, it doesn't take a genius to know we're living in a dark world. A world of terrorism, racial unrest, economic uncertainty. And the list goes on and on and on. And that is why God has put us in this time and in this place. And Jesus goes on to say that we are a town built on a hill and cannot be hidden. That word for built literally means to be placed or to be planted so it's not a coincidence that you work in a particular place you work. That you live in a particular neighborhood. That you go to a particular school. That you play on a particular team. All of us have been put exactly where we are to be a city on a hill. If you ever get to go to Israel, you'll kind of understand what Jesus meant. Now back in Bible days, see they didn't have bulldozers. Bulldozers. Like what we have, so cities were just built one layer over another one. If a city was invaded and burned down and destroyed, they would simply take all of that rubble. They would spread it out and they would use it as a foundation and then build the next city on what was previously destroyed. And eventually cities would become cities on a hill. And whether in the daytime with the sunlight shining off the white limestone or those houses or in the nighttime when all of those houses would be illuminated by candles, they would become that city on a hill that can be seen. Jesus goes on in verse 7, 15 there, and he says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house." Again, we don't understand this. We have electricity. We have lighting in our houses because we don't want to sit in the dark. And we don't want to walk in the dark. We don't want to stay in the dark. And likewise, when we get into those dark neighborhoods, those dark places, God does not put us there so we can just sit there in the dark, stay in the dark with everybody else. He puts us there to be that light of the world, that city on a hill. So I would say to you, don't be afraid to put your Bibles on your desk. Don't be afraid to say a blessing over your meals when you're out in public. Don't be afraid to let people know that you're praying for them or that you're willing to pray for them. Don't be afraid to invite people to church. Be who God created you to be. Do what God puts you upon this earth to do, which is to shine a godly light into a dark world. I know how it goes. I can hear some of your thoughts now. Some of you are maybe kind of thinking, you know what, Pastor? I'm not much of a light. I don't make a lot of money, I don't have a lot of friends. I'm not good looking. I almost flunked out of school. I don't know much about the Bible. The light that Jesus is talking about is him. Not you. Not your abilities or the lack thereof. He is the true light of the world. All he wants to do is for you to let him shine his light through you. And to do that, you don't have to look a certain way or have a certain degree or a certain position to let your light shine. There was a little boy, and I'm going to close with this, that went up to his daddy and he said, Daddy, how tall am I? And he said, I don't know, son, I guess about four feet. And he said, Daddy, how tall is Jesus. Dad said, son, I don't know for sure, but I would guess probably about five and a half feet tall. The son said, so I'm four feet tall, and Jesus is five and a half feet tall. And The dad said, yeah, so? The little boy said, dad, if Jesus is in me, he will stick out, won't he? He will. If you live like Jesus... He will shake out of you like salt. He will pour out of you like light. Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.